This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Who is going to be first to the floor here? And it was Marcus Smart as he usually is. And drives, what is up welcome back to another episode of first of the floor we've got a special podcast planned for you today it's the first episode of our eastern conference rivals series and we're joined by a very special guest our resident Cavs expert Tony Pesta, please correct me if I'm saying that incorrectly. Um, oh, a you great got it. YouTube, I got it. There we go. We've got a great, he's got a great YouTube channel at Tony underscore Pesta. Does some great work for Fear the Sword, which is SB Nation's uh, Cleveland Cavaliers blog. Tony, how you going, mate? Doing good, man. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate any opportunity to push some Cavs propaganda here. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I respect it. Uh, I feel the same. And of course, Ben, how are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm here to deflect all of the Cavs propaganda and parlayed <laughs> into some pro Celtics talk. So I'm excited for this one, Jake. Thanks for teeing this one up. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, look, it's off season. Um, we're looking for we're looking for stuff to talk about. And I think this is a fun way um, to to kind of get through the off season and a fun way to get the brain thinking in different ways. And um, the Cavs were kicking it off. Um, we had some some fun games last season, which we'll, which we'll dive into. But to kick things off, we're going to get Tony's kind of perspective on the Celtics offseason um, and the Celtics over the last couple of years. But it's kind of been a busy offseason, a big offseason, an emotional offseason for the Celtics. Um, what was your thoughts, reactions to the Porzingis-Marcus Smart transaction? Hmm. Hopefully I'm not going to get in trouble already to start <laughs> off because just from an outsider perspective, I, I didn't love it. I, and that's primarily because I think I'm lower on Porzingis than some people are. Um, the health is obviously the biggest concern. Uh, he's, he's had a history of injury troubles throughout his career. Last year he was healthy, so that's a good sign. Potentially he's on the right track there. And he did have a bounce back year in many ways last season. Uh, the only concern there is it's, it's possible he was on the Wizards, so it could be a little bit of empty stats on a bad team. But nonetheless, I still think he's a very helpful player. I just, again, from an outsider perspective, and you guys might agree, Marcus Smart just seemed in many ways like the heart and soul of the Celtics. And so to see him go and be replaced with someone like Porzingis, who, again, I just personally am not too high on, that's the main reason why I wasn't a big fan of it. But just to kind of preface everything, I still think the Celtics are absolutely a contender in the East. I still think Chris Ops could be massively helpful to them. They get another seven footer who can space the floor, defend the rim. So uh, it's it very well could be a great trade for them. It's just one from an outside perspective. I was like, oof, I'd be a little nervous letting go of Marcus Smart because I just feel like he was so integral to everything they did. 
Yeah, it's been a, it's been a difficult pill for Celtics fans to swallow, and I, I think we spent the bulk of the offseason thus far working on like psychologically coming around to the fact that Marcus Smart won't be uh, you know defending the the big guards on um, on the Cavs like uh, Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell there. So you mentioned for a second there your perspective on on the Celtics. Can you can you unpack that for us a little bit to so your perspective and maybe share what the Cavs fans' general perspective might be on the Celtics over the past couple of seasons and their standing in the East going forward and just generally how they're perceived by other fan bases? Definitely. Yeah. I think for me, and I think most Cavs fans would agree with this right now and last season, I think really it's Boston and Milwaukee are the two teams in the East. I know the heat just went to the finals. They're a little bit of a That's wild right. card. It's, Hate it's hard to already. You're fitting right, you're fitting right in Tony. <laughs> yeah, we love it. They're like in their own basket. It's hard to really predict what they're going to do, but I still like heading into last season and heading into this season as well. Boston and Milwaukee are the two teams to beat. In my opinion, those are the two teams where, from a Cavs perspective, it's like that's where we want to be. We want to make that leap and get into the same bubble as those two teams. I think Philly is another team that's kind of on the outside looking in, trying to get in there with Boston and Milwaukee. But, I mean, Boston knocking on the door of a championship two years ago, very well could have made it to the finals last year if a few things went their way. And I, with the A, like Jason Tatum still 25. Jalen Brown, I believe, is 26. Like, you guys are going to be there for a long time. And hopefully the Cavs will be there for a long time soon if if they can make that leap. Because, uh, like I said, Boston and Milwaukee are still the two teams at the top of the East for me. Yeah, I look. I, I did try to scrape uh, your Twitter a little bit, Tony, see if I could find any any spicy takes. But you know, you're you're pretty clean. You like you you love something from Tatum on on May twelfth. I'm not exactly what sure sure what it is. If you're watching on YouTube, I've I've got a tweet up here from from Tony. <laughs> love that from Tatum. Um, do you remember what that was about at all? You know, it it might have been. I feel like that was a Cavs Celtics game, so I don't remember what. But I think I think that may have been during the Sixers series in the playoffs. Oh, so I'm, okay. I'm wondering if um, I'm wondering if that was like a, a oh, game yeah, seven May, move yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. I was game yeah, six. It might have been. Googled it. Oh no! Now I remember. Was game six the game where he struggled for most yeah. of the game and then went off? That's what it was. I remember seeing everyone on Twitter just dogpiling on Tatum. And then he bounced back and had that huge stretch down this uh, in the fourth quarter of that game. Yeah. And so I personally love that. I'm someone like, even though the Cavs, I ride and die for them. Like, I just love the NBA so much. And so even if it is a rival like the Celtics and Jason Tatum, like, I just love seeing great basketball. So to see someone, uh, you know, perform that poorly and then deliver such a quick wake up call to everyone on Twitter. I, I love that personally. <laughs> <laughs> again, again, definitely speaking our language, and um, I think you gave you gave me and Ben, I think, a little bit of PTSD when uh, talking about the Marcus Smart uh, Porzingis <laughs> trade because me and Ben were actually live when the trade happened, and you can see like the emotion of of losing someone like Marcus Smart, the heart and soul. Um, and as you said, like the Celtics have been in the conference finals. You know, are they an ankle? A Jason Tatum twisted ankle on the first play of the game from going to the finals this year. They were obviously very close last year. Um, you know, have, like, sending out someone like Marcus Smart that's been so integral um, is definitely scary. The way that we've kind of um, talked ourselves into it is that we've 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 raised our ceiling because I think um, you know you, you're obviously watching the playoffs. The biggest issue for the Celtics has been the offense, um, you know, really grinding to a halt in in key moments against the Heat two years in a row. Really, they survived it last year and got to the finals. But in the in the Warriors series, up two one, 
five minutes to go, up like six points. Again, their offense grinds to a halt. And you bring in someone like Porzingis that can kind of punish switches um, and hopefully bring that offensive juice that they've kind of been missing in like the highest leverage moments. But at the same time, I do think there's a case to be made that they could have lowered their floor. Um, and obviously, um, we've gone through our own emotional roller coaster with uh, the Porzingis injury stuff over the past like three or four days. Like we've like Celtics, Celtics Twitter is figuring out how to use Google Translate, translating Latvian, you know, newsbreakers and, and stuff like that. We seem to be mostly out of the woods. Uh, sounds like mostly a... Uh, uh, misinformation uh, about the injury, but like all of our worst fears came straight to the forefront. But um, yeah, Ben, I mean, I think you're probably on the same page with me there. Oh yeah, all of my fears and anxieties are thoroughly documented on this on this podcast when it comes <laughs> to worrying about all injuries, but particularly Kristaps Porzingis, who is just you know an added part of the recipe now for collective Celtic fan anxiety. But that's part of every fan base at this point. Yeah, so. I think we'll we'll dive into to the Cavs stuff. I mean, Tony, obviously a healthy respect for the Boston Celtics, which which we love to see. <laughs> um, but the Celtics and the Cavs had some epic games in the regular season. Three of the four went to overtime. Um, three one to the to the Cavs. Um, all wins in overtime. Um, I'm going to play. Uh, Oh, have I not uploaded the clip? I mean, we're going to talk while I upload this clip here. Um, <laughs> but um, what are your memories from these from these Celtics Cavs games from the regular season? Uh, very good memories, of course. <laughs> we, managed, we managed to sneak a couple ba- uh, past you guys, uh, especially the Grant Williams game. Uh, I'm oh, both of them. I thought we, we were so cooked when he stepped up the line. So I won't. I won't get too heavy on you guys for that one. You, but. you, you and us both, Tony. <laughs> oh man, and we we had, we had to ship Grant Williams out after that. You know. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> I wish you could have gave him to us. We could have used him, but can't win them all. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously, you had. I think the, it was the first game against Boston. Levert and Mitchell both score forty-one, which that was just a crazy game. Uh, Quickly on Levert, that guy—he's—he's a, he's a um, low-key Celtics killer, and you've probably—you've—you've—I'm I'm guessing ridden the roller coaster of Carlos Levert, where one day he looks like Donovan Mitchell, really Donovan Mitchell mm-hmm. clone, and then the next day I guess he looks like Carlos Levert. Um, like that's—that's that's a roller coaster for you to ride, right? Yeah, the Carlos Levert experience is a very fun one. Uh, it's <laughs> like as you said, there's some games where he's just not missing and he's doing everything right. And then there's other games where you just want him off the floor immediately because, uh, I mean, the mid-range pull-up jumper from him was like everyone's biggest nightmare this year. I don't know what he finished the year shooting, but it feels like he shot like 15% on those jumpers. Uh, But when he was rolling, he was very helpful. And I am personally a Levert defender. I acknowledge that he has had some horrible games, but I I like (laughs) Levert. I think he has been a overall positive for the Cavs. But yeah, that 41-point game, Probably the highlight of the season for him. Uh, <laughs> it's so funny. It like because like to us, when you say fifteen percent from the mid range, I'm like, I, it's so hard for my to wrap my brain around that. Like he had a fifty point game when he was with the Nets against the Celtics, and like um, Marcus Smart fouled him like shooting a three pointer, and mm-hmm. he made it, and then like the Nets won. So uh, the clip's uploaded now. I'm going to put you on the stand a little bit here, but um, we were robbed of. Um, Kind of a, uh, a Pantheon game uh, from last season. We'll, we'll have a look at it. 
Three-point lead. Plenty of time for Boston. Tatum to the basket. Gets it off the window. Williams will inbound. Here's Smart. Tatum on the cut. Takes it all the way and slams it. He wanted a foul. He ties the game at 107. Now Mitchell guarded by Brown. Four seconds left. Mitchell spinning with two. Step back three. Blocked by Tatum. And we go to overtime. Jason Tatum on both ends of the floor. And that's where the story ended. The end game ended in a draw. <laughs> the first draw in NBA history. Um, two questions. One, was that a foul? Was that an and one on the Jason Tatum dunk? And I don't remember anything from overtime, honestly. I've, I've clearly blacked that out. So tell me what happened. Uh, well, so first off, I will say, yes, it probably was a foul. But <laughs> I will give Jared Allen credit. He went up and challenged it. Yeah. He could have tried to take a charge. So just for the fact that he went up and challenged that, let him play. I think overtime, free basketball, yeah. why not? I do remember that overtime, I believe later on, to kind of seal the deal there, there was a Jared Allen block and then Garland threw an alley-oop to Mitchell. That's like the one memory that I have of it. So another fantastic memory for the Cavs early (laughs) on in the season before everything kind of just went downhill in the playoffs. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of which, I mean, Ben, I'll throw throw to you here. Like, do you have any memories from from that game or we can can jump forward here? Yeah, we might have to in post just put a trigger warning in before that part of the conversation (laughs) there. Um, So great, obviously great regular season for the Cavs. How do you reconcile that great of a regular season with what happened in the playoffs? Obviously, you come up against the Knicks, the season or the series rather finishes in favor of the Knicks four to one. Mitchell Robinson kind of dominated, I want to say. Jarrett Allen and Evan Mobley on the glass, and Mitchell and Garland, the, the two All Star guards there, both struggled a little bit. How do you reconcile that, you know, um, in comparison to that regular season? Yeah, you know, the way I've been describing it is that the regular season was a dream, and the playoffs were a nightmare for the Cavs. Uh, it felt like in the regular season, they really expelled a lot of their demons post LeBron era where like for the first time since I've been alive, the Cavs were a good team and LeBron wasn't on it. So like, it felt good just to see them break through and have those great moments. They won 51 games, Mitchell, the Mitchell addition, I think was a home run. Obviously it hasn't completely panned out yet, but uh, all NBA caliber player really raised their ceiling in a way that I don't think could have happened without that move. Uh, Mobley takes a step forward as a legit defensive player of the year candidate. Darius Garland in many ways improved, even though the stats are very similar to last year. I think his efficiency went up and just the fact that he averaged like the same amount of points with the addition of Mitchell just shows that he has grown in that area too. Um, And then you get to the playoffs and just kind of everything went wrong. Like everything that could have possibly went wrong, went wrong for them. Uh, One thing that I do want to mention, just because I think, Talking to Celtics fans, I think this is like from an outside perspective, this is something interesting because I know how the Cavs fans feel about it. I think the loss of Kevin Love hurt the Cavs more than people really realize. And there are some Cavs fans who have very uh, bitter feelings towards Love for the way it all ended. We won't go too deep into like the details of the buyout. But for me personally, when you look at what happened in the Knicks series, two big issues, they got killed on the glass and they didn't have any three point shooting. And if you want to throw a third issue in there, they look very inexperienced. And then you look at someone like Kevin Love and it's like, well, he's a really good rebounder. He was one of their best three point shooters. And he was the only one who was championship experience. And it was like a stabilizing veteran presence the whole time. So for me, 
I felt like losing Kevin Love. Would it have taken them to a whole new level? No, I, I still don't even know if they for sure win that series with Love. But losing Kevin for me was really one of the biggest downfalls this season. I'm interested in how you guys felt about that from an outsider perspective. Oh, well, just to, from our perspective, it, it impacted us directly because he went to the Miami <laughs> yeah. Heat and was like very critical in them getting to the finals. So like just from that perspective alone, it was like, Cleveland, what are you doing to, to, to give him away for nothing? I think um, Bill Simmons as well. He like he lost his mind and everyone was kind of like, come on, man, it's just Kevin Love. But he ended up being right. And for, for Cleveland, like, like he, I don't know, Kevin Love was kind of like the slightly more impactful version of like our, I don't know, Blake Griffin in a way. And like, I was going to say that. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, Ben, I'll throw it to the, to the <laughs> resident Blake Griffin um, fan here. Football season is about to kick off and FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl and you'll get bonus bets for every victory. The Kansas City Chiefs are plus 600 odds to win the Super Bowl currently on FanDuel. They play the Detroit Lions in the first game of the season where they are currently minus 6.5 favorites. A good chance to win the Super Bowl there plus potential returns throughout the regular season. You can use your bonus bets on spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sportsbook. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. 21 plus and present in Massachusetts. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Restrictions apply. Max bonus $50 unless specified otherwise. See terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Hope is here. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. Yeah, I mean, I'll just I'll just echo everything that you said, basically, Jake, that the, the Heat, yeah, so from the Celtics fans' perspective, the Heat have this very uh, difficult to comprehend way of reappropriating players' skill sets where they didn't necessarily shine on their prior team. That's what they did with Kevin Love. I will say whenever he was on the court, uh, in terms of who the Celtics would attack, in terms of a defensive exploit, it was always going at Kevin Love. And so that was kind of an opportunity for the Celtics to score whenever he was on the floor. But, you know, he hit shots for them and obviously provided some veteran leadership, which it seems like the Cavs, um, like you said, Tony, completely did without in their playoff series. Do you think the the presence of Kevin Love for the Cavs there, would that have been enough to at least make it more of a competitive series against the Knicks there? Yeah, I I don't want to go too far as to say like they would have won that series hands down or anything. I mean, that's how I felt entering the series, to be honest. I thought we were going to win in five. (laughs) It didn't work out the way I thought. But I do think just like so with the Jared Allen situation, especially uh, everyone got on him and rightfully so. He, He deserves plenty of blame for the way he was bullied on the glass. But one aspect of that that I think people often overlook is that the Cavs didn't have a backup big to turn to. They had Robin Lopez who didn't really play at all in that series. And if you saw Robin Lopez play in the regular season, you know why he wasn't playing in the playoffs. Uh, well, we so, like, like to hear it, that because the Bucs signed Robin Lopez. So yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Tony's he, just on fire today. Here we go. <laughs> Robin Lopez looked very cooked. Uh, great guy, super great locker room presence. It seems like, but there was a reason why, even though Jared Allen was getting bullied on the glass, Robin Lopez was still on the bench because he was just unplayable. But back to that point, like, I think even if you had Kevin Love play 10, 15 minutes a night, just someone to give Allen a breather, get someone else on the glass, bring just something new to the floor, uh, especially on the offensive end where yep. 
no one on that team could hit threes. But more importantly, like the reason Kevin Love wasn't playing for the Cavs prior to the buyout is because his three point shots disappeared. He injured his thumb and he was shooting, I think, like 25 percent or something. But when you look at the playoffs, even against the Celtics, like Kevin Love didn't necessarily start shooting better, but teams were still defending him. They still close out to him. And for the Cavs, it was like we had Isaac Okoro, Karis LeVert, whoever's out there. If you're not Darius Garland or Donovan Mitchell, the Knicks didn't care. They just ignored you on the three point line. And if you could have even had Kevin Love come in for 12 minutes and stretch the floor a little bit, that kind of gets the offense turning a little bit and it could have made a difference, but there were so many things that went wrong in the Knicks series. I do want to make it clear that I don't think Kevin Love would have completely (laughs) fixed everything. There was a lot of things that needed to be addressed. Hopefully, uh, from the Celtics fans' perspective, there's some some tape and some footage there that we can study and make make the regular season competition between the season and the Cavs a little bit more competitive in favor of the Celtics in this upcoming season. Uh, so obviously, the season it, it comes to a disappointing end for all fan bases who don't go on to win the championship. And we just talked about how that ended for the Cavs. I want to ask though, is this iteration of the Cavs is it in some way? I'm, I'm want to be careful and delicate how I approach this question. Is it in some way more fun? than the LeBron era in that the expectations are lower and therefore your successes are more celebrated? Yeah, I definitely get what you're saying there. I think last year for me, well, I guess this season too, the last two seasons were fun because there wasn't as many expectations. Now it's not so much fun because we are getting back into like make or break territory, even though they're Mm -hmm. still very young and they have plenty of time. The pressure is mounting up. But like that 2021-22 season when they first kind of broke out, that was some of the most fun basketball I've been able to watch from the Cavs because they're all young. There's really no expectations. No one expected them to even make it to the play-in tournament. So the fact that they did that and Darius Garland was an all-star, Jared Allen was an all-star, it's fun in a completely different way than the LeBron era where especially like the second stint in Cleveland with LeBron – he didn't care about the regular season. So there were a lot of very painful moments, whereas this team very much does care about the regular season. So like, I mean, uh, Donovan Mitchell scoring 71 points in the game. Like that's something that hasn't happened ever for the Cavs. So that was so much fun to watch. Just Donovan Mitchell's entire season in Cleveland, his first year was so much fun. And again, just in a completely different way, it was enjoyable. And it, it the, one of the more enjoyable things about it is that you could really see Cleveland like care about basketball again. We're very much a football town. So the fact that the Cavs are good again, now everyone's getting excited about them and they, it's just nice to be relevant, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. When Ben said that, then I started imagining what it would be like if LeBron James had played for my team. Like when he had come in, like as a young player, I'm like, it's probably more fun in some ways, but like those like early LeBron years must've just been like, I don't know. That's just, <laughs> you can't even describe like what it's like to have someone like, oh, it's like all the hype and then absolutely exceeding that level of hype to be the level of play that LeBron James was, like must have been mm. kind of like a, a, a religious experience for Cleveland, for, especially for that first like five years. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, it was just nice. One thing that we like don't have with this team that we had with LeBron where like any game you enter, you're just like, well, even if everything goes wrong, we have LeBron. So we could still find a way to pull this one out. Yeah. Now, when things aren't going as well, it's like, uh, we might be done for this game already. I must have a Mitchell just goes hero mode, which he did a lot during the regular season. So yes. that was great. But LeBron's clearly just a different level <laughs> yeah. of taking yeah. over. 
Don't think that's a hot take to say that LeBron James is a <laughs> yeah. uh, better player than Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> and unfortunately, Celtics fans are all too familiar with the idea that uh, it's never over with LeBron James in a game or in a series, unfortunately. So you, you kind of touched touch on it with the Kevin Love stuff. Um, like, I, I personally like the, 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 I mean, it's not rocket science. The biggest issue for the Cavs last season was like that fifth spot. It was like, okay, we've got Garland, Mitchell, Mobley, Allen, like locked in. Who's going to play that fifth spot? Is it going to be Levert, Dean Wade I like? You know, like, who is it going to be? Do you try, try and go big with love um, throughout the season? Like, obviously, there was that, like, there was a Coro. Um, I've always been a Chetty Osmond guy. Um, but, like, is it, but is he, you know, like, you know, we're asking a little bit too much of Chetty Osmond to be, like, your your fifth guy on a, on a really good playoff team. Um, you bring in Struess and you bring in Niang and you draft Amoni Bates. I don't think I've been missing any other big uh, moves from the Cavs this, this offseason. Please remind us and the no, fans. No, you got it. Yeah, yeah, but um, do you feel like some of those issues that you ran into in the playoffs um, could be solved with um, Devil Magic? Uh, because Max Truce <laughs> definitely. Ha- also, we're going to see if there's if the Devil Magic carries from Miami over to Cleveland. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm hoping it does. I'm really hoping <laughs> it does. But yeah, I mean, it's that's the golden question for the Cavs all year, and really heading into the future is like who's going to play that that final spot there? Who's going to play the wing? Uh, Max Struess entering the offseason was one of my top uh, free agency hopes, so I'm glad nice. that we got him. Uh, we did lose Jetty, unfortunately, which everyone in Cleveland was sad about, but right. I'm okay with it because I think Struess hopefully will be their uh, starting forward. I know he's a bit undersized to play that position, but he just brings exactly what they need, which not only is it shooting, but it's motion shooting. He's a guy who can run around screens, dribble handoffs. You get a lot more action with a guy like that compared to like Karis LeVert did a fantastic job of uh, adapting into a kind of three and D role to the best of his ability. And he had a career best year shooting the ball, but he's still not like a traditional motion shooter. You're not going to see him run around screens, really be much of a three point threat. Whereas Max Struess, uh, Teams care about him when he's moving off ball. Teams pay attention to him, and he does have some sort of gravitational pull. And that's really what you want next to that core four because of Mobley and Allen being two non-shooting big men. If you add a small forward or just someone in that last spot that can space the floor, uh, it makes the long-term viability of Allen and Mobley much more realistic for me. So I was, I'm a big fan of this true signing. Yeah, it certainly ruffles the feather of uh, of Celtics fans and puts the fear in us a little bit. Obviously, being part of the Heat team that knocked us out uh, just in the, these playoffs past, it was part of the Celtics roster that had to cut him as well to, to make room for some other signings. So we, we had him in our in our grasp and unfortunately <laughs> had to let him go. And he's been shitting on us ever since, essentially. So you, you got a good one there and a Celtics killer there. Um, looking at a more prominent part of the roster, what, what are the vibes on... Donovan Mitchell long term are the rumors of him leaving just that sort of classic mainstream media spin uh, trying to get him to a big market uh, or is there some sort of fire to that smoke yeah it's, it's hard to tell I think there's definitely a bit of the mainstream media pool trying to make something out of nothing but I also think you know he is from New York so it would not surprise me at all if he says hey I can make millions of dollars to go play basketball in front of my home city like I wouldn't blame him if he did it. Uh, with that said, 
a lot of Cavs fans are nervous. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Cavs Twitter, every time Donovan Mitchell posts a picture of him wearing a Mets jersey, Cavs Twitter blows up. So <laughs> there's there's a lot of nervous people. And I think part of that is, you know, PTSD from LeBron. He, uh-huh. he gives and he takes with what everything he gave to Cleveland. But uh, yeah, for me, I think I'm pushing it off till next summer, really. I think this season, like, there's no doubt in my mind that Mitchell is committed to this upcoming season. And so as long as the Cavs show something like it's really on Kobe Altman and the Cavs to show that this is a place where Mitchell can win long term, because ideally that's what is the most important thing. Someone like Mitchell is winning basketball. So if they come out and they improve and they actually do make some sort of playoff run, whether that be getting to the second round, getting to the conference finals or making a championship run, like you just need to give him some reason to believe that he can win in this destination and if you do that, I feel confident. If they get knocked in the first round again, I'm the, and we enter the offseason, I'm going to be way more nervous than I am right now. So <laughs> that's basically where I'm at. But even like, and I also want to say this: like the good thing about the Cavs, Darius Garland's 23, Mobley's 22. Even if you do lose Mitchell, we still have a very strong core to build on. So it won't be you know LeBron situation where we're left with nothing at least. Mm-hmm. So the rebuild will be a little quicker if we lose Mitchell. Yeah, and like I do, I do think a lot of that series was was a little inexperienced. Like it's just there's no there's no way for Mobley and Garland to prepare for the playoffs if never been there before. Even even Allen, right? That was actually like one of my main concerns um, of the Cavs, like going into the playoffs, was like outside of Mitchell, like no one had had been there before. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I was, I was someone who was c- kind of a little a little anti when the, when the Cavs made that trade, just because I was like, the Cavs just had that awesome season. You're pushing all these chips in and, and like Mobley's like the key is Mobley, right? Like for, I think for the Cavs to go to this, this next level, this championship, like contending level, like consistently, it's like, how, how does Mobley get to that next level? Like, obviously he wins rookie of the year. Obviously he was third and defensive player of the year last year. Um, I think early in his rookie season, the, I thought the expectations were kind of came unfair for him. It was like, okay, this is the next Kevin Garnett. This is like, and it's like defensively, I think maybe that's fair, but um, offensively, I thought it was quite unfair. Like Kevin Garnett came into the league at like 18 years old and was, um, mm. like a like a bucket um and I, and, I, and I thought that like that's not that's not Mobley's game especially yet um like 21.6 from three last season and I think that when you got those two shooting bigs out there a non, non-shooting bigs that's just it's going to be tough which is why Struce will help but where are Cavs fans on Mobley what are the expectations for next season long term are we still do we still have Kevin Garnett as our um our North Star like where are we with Mobley yeah uh Right now, it's hard not to be high on Mobley, I think, just because, like, at the very least, he's a perennial defensive player of the year type player. So, like, that's something you can always hang your hat on. The offense needs a lot of work. I do think, uh, in many ways, being drafted to Cleveland was kind of a blessing and a curse in the sense that, like, he's not getting as many reps as, you know, like Anthony Davis or even Kevin Garnett got during their rookie seasons because Mobley's playing with multiple other players who need the ball. Darius Garland and now with the addition of Donovan Mitchell, especially like he's not getting as many reps. And so I do wonder if that's going to cause his offensive game to take a little bit longer to show itself. But yeah, uh, Kevin Garnett's a huge comparison. I think (laughs) it's a good blueprint for him personally, especially with 
the mid-range scoring because right now the three-point shot's just not there. Maybe it will be one day, but if he can become a Kevin Garnett type shooter in the mid-range, like, I mean, you're looking at an all-time great player at that point. So I think that's the big focus for me is just expanding his range a little bit. He's already great around the rim. He doesn't have much, like, uh, he doesn't create many shots for himself, but with Garland next to him, he's going to get a lot of opportunities to score, and he has finished around the rim at a very efficient rate. So that's very promising. If he can step out to the mid-range, that's another added tool to his bag. And the other thing for me is I want to see him develop as a playmaker. I want to see them use him more as a hub, kind of in a Sabonis-type role. I do think he has great court vision, but he's still very young. It's very raw. I'd like to see them dump the ball to him a lot more and let him make reads kind of in that short pick and roll. He did it during the regular season, and then their lack of spacing kind of just erase all of that in the playoffs. So moving forward, uh, that's the big thing. So I want to see him score in the mid-range, and I want to see him get more on-ball reps, just kind of up that usage because the defense is already there. Like I feel confident saying he's already one of the better, best defenders in the NBA, and that should remain true moving forward. Yeah. I, well, I've, I've, so I might go a little off track here. So, like, you know, you talk a little bit about, um, like, Mobley's development and uh, is, is, the, is this the right, you know, track for him? Like, it, you know, being on this team where he's not going to develop his offensive game, we might, you know, we may or may not lose Donovan Mitchell. Would you still make that, that Donovan Mitchell trade? Like, you can go back now, last offseason. Do you still make that trade? Yeah, I would. I, I still would okay. for sure. I, I think it's possible that it slowed his development, but I'd have to imagine that he's still making progress. It's just he's not getting those same amount of reps. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, just playing winning basketball has to be worth something for his development, even if it's not, you know, going out there and shooting 20 shots a game. I think it's allowed him to focus on other aspects and really build those habits. And so if the rest of his offensive game does get developed, I think it'll be better for him in the long run. But yeah, I mean, if he was drafted to this Cavs team and they never made the Mitchell trade, he probably averages 20 points per game last season, somewhere, you know, around there. Because I do think there is a very strong offensive game for Mobley that has kind of been overshadowed a bit i mean he had the 38 point game last year against uh milwaukee where he really showed off uh, you know some of his touch not shooting the ball but these kind of like deep post hooks that he got a lot of in that game and i think again if his usage was higher we're probably talking about mobley a little more than the general mainstream uh news it has been covering him because right now he is very raw offensively but again uh in the different circumstances he would be putting up bigger numbers i think yeah, and I think like even if the structure of the roster was different, like with with Allen there, he's running like half the mm-hmm. pick and rolls he would be if it was just like a traditional, like he had a, a more traditional stretch four next to Mobley and he was playing the five. Like I do think that yeah, because he's clearly he's got touch. He's a he's a really good passer. I love that about his game. Like anytime you have a big man that's like a really good passer, um, that's always always really valuable because I just not a lot of big men have that ability. So I, I definitely think there's an offensive game in there. I like that that blueprint as opposed to comp. Um, I think that's a that's a good way of of framing the future of um, of Mobley. Like the Cavs for me were just they're a really fun watch. Like Darius Garland is like he's kind of like a dinosaur in the sense that. Celtics fans have been screaming for a traditional point guard for for ever, basically for us, like for the whole Jays era. Um, and there was there was like 
that one week where there was Jalen Brown for Darius Garland rumor, which mm. no one really believed except for Celtics fans that were like, maybe the Cavs would actually do it. Like, there was no chance in hell that the the Cavs were ever trading Darius Garland, who has like has has he even started his rookie extension contract yet? I don't, maybe one oh, year I'm not in? sure. It, right, it like, might versus, be coming up. Yeah, versus like Jalen Brown would be a free agent. Yeah. It's like we're gonna we're gonna trade Darius Garland, who's got four years left for Jalen Brown. But <laughs> we had a moment there, Ben. We were like. You know who would be pretty oh, good? We've had a lot of dark moments as far as considering, <laughs> you know, what the options are for, for Jalen Brown. I, I'm curious, though, Tony, like you've got a lot on the on the horizon as far as like prospects and, and things to be excited about on the Cavs front there. So much young talent. Jake just mentioned Darius Garland. We talked about Evan Mobley. Is Mobley like the forefront of what Cavs fans are excited about of the future? Or is it Darius Garland or is there something else player or team wise that's dominating the headlines there? Yeah, that's been a very interesting uh, discussion that we've had a little bit recently on Cavs Twitter, just kind of because I think, you know, Darius Garland's still only 23, which feels crazy considering the leap that he's made and he's still so young. So there has been some discussion like I know for me personally, I'm really interested to see does Darius Garland have another leap in him right now? He's kind of like a fringe all star player. Is it possible he could take the leap to an all NBA caliber player? Uh, I'm not ruling it out. Just strictly off the fact that he's so young and he's already so talented but then when you look at Mobley I feel like the path is just more obvious like it it, if he adds an offensive game he's an all-NBA player it's it's basically that simple for Mobley whereas with Garland you know for him it's basically just increasing the volume which not everyone can do and so that's like a bigger ask I think but yeah most people would probably and I would personally put the Cavs title hopes on Mobley's development but I think Darius Garland is probably the most underrated player in the NBA. It might sound like a Cavs homer for saying that, but <laughs> I think okay. he's very underrated. And if he makes a leap next year, I think it could surprise a lot of people. Yeah, I look, I love Darius Garland. I I think um, so he's he's not underrated for me. Like I I I really really like him. I think you need like to to, to be able to have something in the NBA that's actually quite rare. Like to find a guy that's like and he's an elite elite table setter like he's so good at finding guys and i think that's why adding Struess and niang like those are those are legit shooters and garland's so good at finding guys so i think that that the Cavs are going to be really good again um yeah so this this young core and like you know that's as you said like mitchell leaves you know you can survive it. Like, you know, we, we went through the Kyrie trade, right? Like I, I you know, when I was looking through your Twitter, you were like, well, the, the, the Cavs won that trade. It's like, yeah, the Cavs <laughs> did win that trade. Yeah. Cause we <laughs> ultimately, <laughs> if we, if, I, I think about all the time, if I had a time machine, um, what, and I could go back and tell Danny Ainge one thing, what would it be like of the last five years? And it's like, it's probably the Kyrie trade. It's because then we keep the eighth overall pick. He doesn't throw that alley-oop to Gordon Hayward that shatters mm-hmm. his ankle and ruins his career. Um, and we also just don't deal with the whole Kyrie um, drama. We're going on a tangent here, but we've got, well, we've got time. Um, ben, do you, have a, do you have a question? Well, I got to ask. We talked about yeah. like what things Cavs fans are excited about. Yes, okay. um, I have to ask, slightly lower down the totem pole, Amoni Bates led mm. the Cavs to a summer league championship uh, just a month or two ago. 
obviously he had a bit of a tumultuous up and down, you know, post high school career after being you know, quite hyped up as a younger fella there. Um, are, are Cavs fans like starting to develop their own Amoni Bates propaganda? I can imagine as a Celtics fan, like if we if we nabbed this guy in the draft, becoming unnaturally excited about what his potential future would be with the team. Are, are Cavs fans like finding themselves going there? Oh, yeah. Immediately. The moment he was even before he was drafted, they were already doing that. And I got myself in a little bit of trouble because I wasn't as high on Imani Bates as some Cavs fans. I mean, there are some people who were thrilled with this pick and I'm just kind of like still the 49th pick. Like, but I, I definitely see the potential and his summer league performance was as encouraging as it could be. If you had any concerns about him, it's like, well, came out. It's the summer league championship, but it's winning basketball nonetheless. He yeah. made some subtle changes to his game, which could be major in the long run because the concern with him uh, is mainly a shot selection. Uh, the way that I describe him is that right now he's more of a shot maker than a shot creator because he really doesn't create much separation when he shoots, but he's just really good at making difficult shots. And when you join a team like the Cavs, that's a good skill to have, sure, but I just don't know how much of a leash he's going to be given on a team that's like trying to win basketball games. Like, hey, Amani, go shoot, pull up three pointers, and you know, be the streakiest shooter in the draft. But if he can put together some like consistent habits of being an off-ball threat, being a little bit more of a passer, that was another concern. Is that he basically had zero playmaking resume during his college time? It's like if he can develop some other aspects of his game then he could be a helpful player. He's still, I believe, 19 years old. So this is kind of like a long game situation for the Cavs who will likely spend a lot of time in the G League uh, polishing that game. But I definitely, some Cavs fans are beyond excited. I'm not at that point, but I definitely think that's a a nice little prospect to stash away. There is one other uh, summer league prospect I want to mention. I don't know. Oh yeah, here we go. I don't know how familiar you guys were with the Cavs roster. I love that summer league team. It was the most fun summer league I've had, but... Uh, Craig Porter Jr. I don't know if you guys watched any of him at all, but no, I didn't he catch any Cavs summer league games. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> totally understandable. Uh, you have to be a real sicko to watch. Well, Not I only just the, the summer, summer league, league yeah. exactly. You watching your own team is one thing, but watching other teams in the summer league, that's like that's severe being a like, sicko. Like, so, like if they like if they if they don't have a top ten pick in the summer league, <laughs> I'm like I'm like oof and. As much as I'd seen Amoni Bates's um, high school mixtape um, on Instagram over the past several years, like, it wasn't quite the draw card. But but go ahead, yeah. no, <laughs> totally understandable. But uh, Craig Porter Jr. went undrafted. Uh, he's a guy who I had no idea who he even was uh, heading into the summer league. I just learned about him after we signed him, and he I immediately fell in love with his game. He's a point guard. Uh, slightly undersized, but he's good athleticism, really good rebounder, great court vision, efficient shooter. He's really just like an all-around solid player to where I was like, how did this guy go undrafted? And he played very good in the summer league. Uh, there's the possibility that he could be, you know, uh, jack of all trades, master of none. It's possible that he won't be great at any particular thing, but he was so all-around solid in the summer league and in college. He's an older prospect, too. I think he's 23, maybe. I might be wrong on that, but he's a bit older, so that's why he did fall so deep. Uh, But I was very excited about him. 
Uh, if I can, there he I'll is. Throw, I'll throw a Boston blueprint for you. Here we go. He mentioned in his uh, interviews that he watched a lot of Rondo growing up, and I think okay. you, you can see a little bit of it in this game. I won't go too far to make the comparison, <laughs> but you can see it in the way that he rebounds and pushes the tempo, just kind of the way he reads the floor. Uh, very excited about him. I would love to see. I, he's going to be with the charge this season, and if he gets an opportunity to get on the floor, I'm going to be going crazy for him. So. <laughs> Look, anytime you can get uh, Rondo undrafted, I think you should do it. But uh, <laughs> look, look, but you never know. Like the Celtics, like have Sam Hauser, who was undrafted, who's who's probably like our our backup wing this season. And we've had a bunch of picks in the forties and stuff that haven't panned out. And you never know um, mm. which kind of guy's gonna gonna hit, which is which is exciting. So. I know Ben has to duck out in a second, but um, we'll, we'll hang on to him until uh, he gets out of here. Well, but, can, I, um, can I ask one more question before yeah, I go? Because I'm just yeah, curious to hear course. the answer, Tony. Yes. Who is the – and let me know if this question doesn't make sense because I'm, I'm using like a deep Celtics roster uh, player as a reference here. Who is the Luke Cornett of the Cavs? Who's like the, the spicy fan favorite that like you really have to be a Cavs fan to, to understand the, the joy that it brings the fan base? Can I guess? Hmm. Can I guess? Yeah, go for it. Is it because like is it is it Dean Wade? I know that's like he plays a lot, so like Luke Cornett doesn't actually play that much, but like it has to be Dean Wade because he's just good. But like the casual fan doesn't actually like think that he's good, right? You know, Dean Wade probably would have been the answer heading into the year, but I think the fan base has soured on him. I think no, I think he kind Dean. of lost some of their the good fortune there. But uh, I mean, now that Lamar Stevens and Jetty are gone, well, I, like I don't Lamar know who Stevens. it is. It, it was really both of those two guys. I would say, I guess. I mean, this guy plays too much to really give him that honor. But I would say maybe Isaac Okoro now. I mean, I I don't know. There's. Cavs fans will attach to any player and go crazy for them. So <laughs> we have a lot. I, I'll give Dean Wade the credit because I do think if he can. Uh, oh, you know what? Actually, I just thought of it. It's Sam Merrill. I don't know if you're familiar with Sam Merrill. Well, kind of, yeah. He, he played shooter. for the charge. He really yeah. hasn't gotten into the NBA yet, but he lit it up in the summer league. Might not play this year for the Cavs, but Sam Merrill, I think, is the okay. one who has won all the Cavs hearts. I love it. I love it. Look, you know, I, I just think Dean Wade's over tasked. You know, he 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 should yeah. be like one or two slots down on in a rotation, and then he then he'll be back in in the good graces. I'm a but, Dean uh, Wade fan, so I'm I'm with you. Yeah. I'm I'm hoping he has a bounce back season because last year was a little rough for him. I, he was on my list of like, could we could we trade for Dean Wade and get him in like a TPE kind of thing? Like mm-hmm. he's just a guy that can kind of do do a little bit of everything. Um, all right. All right, I'm going to duck out. Appreciate it, guys. And thanks for coming yep. on, Tony. Uh, Jake, Thank bring you it home strong. Me. No worries. Thank All right, you. see you guys. Where do you see the Cavs kind of stacking up in the East? Because, like, I think, you know, Celtics box kind of at the top. And as you said, the Heat, who knows? Like, with this rival series, I don't, I, I can't get the Heat out. I'm, like, we have no idea what the roster is going to look like before now and now and the the season starting. I'm, I'm like, to me, the Sixers – are, are done they're like like as far as winning a title they might win some regular season games but like the Cavs were the fourth seed you know last season mm. um obviously exited the first round but um so what would be like what are the kind of the expectations going into next year yeah I think uh you really nailed that I as I said at the beginning Boston and Milwaukee are the two teams near the top for me uh, I think they're kind of in a tier of their own compared to everyone else I think Philly was knocking on that door last year. And I also agree that I think they're probably on their way out depending on, I mean, 
regardless of what happens with the James Harden situation, I'm not really feeling too confident that they're going to end up winning that situation. Uh, Embiid, it's hard to count him out, but at this point, I do kind of have doubts about whether or not he can really lead the team to where they want to go. And they're really, they're very limited with what they're going to do with their supporting cast. So I would kind of count them out. Miami, uh, as we said, uh, kind of a wild card. If they get Damian Lillard, I mean, Hey, that depending on what they end up giving up, they could be right in that tier with Boston and Milwaukee. They could end up being the eight seed again for all I know. So, uh, if, even Miami, Dame, right? Like they could, yeah. Like they could end up kind of dropping just because you know Dame's old, Jimmy's old, and like all of a sudden, mm-hmm. like if one of those guys are out and you and you've given up so much, yeah, they mm-hmm. are, they are just the perpetual wild card. Now it feels like, yeah, uh, they're the team where like no matter what seed they get in, even like entering the playoffs last year, a lot of Cavs fans were hoping to get matched up with Miami because they thought it'd be the easy target. And I was like, I'm good on that. I'll take, yeah, yeah. I'll take New York or Brooklyn, one of these other teams, because you just don't know what Jimmy Butler. Uh, so I would just avoid that if I could. Uh, other teams in the East, like I know the Knicks just destroyed the Cavs. So I, it sounds bad if I say that I still think the Cavs are going to be ahead <laughs> of them next year, but I still think the Cavs are the better team. I still think, Ideally, this Cavs team is going to be, if I predict their ceiling, the third seed, maybe even the second, depending on like not to wish any bad luck on no. the Celtics. But if Chris Stops gets injured, the sure. Cavs could very easily get in there. The Bucks are getting old. So regular season yep. standings, maybe they'll drop. But once you get to the playoffs, it's Boston and Milwaukee are the two teams that I'm most concerned about. I really think the Cavs should be their goal should be getting that third place. They should be right below the Celtics and Bucks in the tier list. And I do like we mentioned the regular season games they had against the Celtics. Those were so much fun. And I wish we could have seen that in the playoffs, not only because it would have meant the Cavs made it a little further, but it would have been a really good test for that team to play a true contender and kind of match up against them. And that's what I want to see next year for the Cavs is they need to make it out of the first round. And they need to run into Milwaukee or Boston and give them just some sort of a challenge. Even if you can't get over that hump on the first attempt, you need to give them a strong six or seven game series and just get those lessons under your belt. Yeah, I look, honestly, I would not be surprised at all if the Cavs end up in the two, three spot, like even the one spot. The Cel- like for the, for the Celtics, you know, I think they're going to win a lot of games, but mm-hmm. I'm not really too concerned about their seeding. They've, um, mm. They've proven to be an awesome uh, road team in the playoffs the last couple seasons. So for me, it's, it's, it is more about that health. Like I, I would kind of lean to resting guys a fair bit throughout the regular season. But the thing is, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum don't really miss that many games. And so when those two guys are playing like seventy mm. plus games, like you're just you're just gonna you're gonna be in the mix for a top three seed. Um, let's 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 see. Like it, let's say the Celtics are the two seed or the Cavs are the two seed. And the Celtics are the three seed. We met, and this year the Cavs. Because I think as things stand right now, I, I would I would pick the the Cavs to beat the Knicks in a playoff series at the end of next season. Like I actually bet on the Knicks for that playoff <laughs> series, but because I I've had this feeling about the inexperience. But I think I I, I really like Struess. I like he 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 can play undersized. I think that like he can play in the playoffs and gives them that shooting. I saw you retweeted a um, a post about how he had like the fourth percentile open of open looks mm, while yeah. playing for Miami, and like 
they have Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. Like, there's going to be open looks available. I think he's going to be a really good shooter for them. I think if they have Struess maybe in that series, they maybe they maybe get it done. So going forward, I think the expectation should be like win a first round series because the second round of the playoffs is where things really get crazy. Really get. Mm. That's, I think that's really where you know you 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 get your. You get your your playoff medal. All right. So, what what do we think happens in a in a Cavs Celtics series? You want to want to make any bold predictions for a playoff series that may not happen before the season even starts? <laughs> uh, you know, I won't be too bold, but this is my genuine feelings. I do think the Celtics would beat the Cavs. I know it's you know Cavs fans will be upset. They were upset at me when I said it last year too. I just think like my whole perspective is when you look through the last 20, 30 years of champions. Like every team runs into a wall and loses one of these hard fought battles against a better, older, more experienced team. Unfortunately, last year, not to throw shade at the Knicks, that didn't really happen for the Cavs. They lost to a team that they should have beat. Most they were favored to win. Uh, It's refreshing hearing other fan bases say that you expected the Cavs to win, even though you bet on the Knicks. You still you thought more like the value, like yeah, that would be nice, yeah. Uh, And so, like moving forward. I do think the Cavs, I think they're talented enough to beat the Celtics. I wouldn't be like completely shocked if they beat the Celtics. I just think experience matters. I think, uh, you know, having been there before matters. And if both teams are completely healthy, I think it would be a great matchup. It could go six or seven very easily. I would probably pick the Celtics to win, but I'm saying that now. When we get to, you know, next <laughs> season, I'm going to be talking myself into the Cavs making it all the way. So, <laughs> uh, well, we've we've got it. We've got the clip now. So, when once when the matchup yeah. comes, um, we'll we'll be able we'll be able to bring this one back. Um, I look, I I would be shocked if it didn't go six or seven games. Um, mm-hmm. Donovan Mitchell's always um given the Celtics trouble, like, and Karis Levert has the Celtics killer label, so it would not shock me at all if it goes six or seven, and I'll be sweating. And this is what the Celtics do. The last two seasons in a row, they've played seven games in both the second round and the conference finals, which is why I'm going to die five years earlier mm-hmm. than, than I should have because the stress of the last two playoff runs. But um, yeah, oh look, I, I look forward to it. I, I, w- I was actually hoping we got the Sixers and not the Cavs in the playoffs mm-hmm. because um, I even though it did get tight and did get stressful, I just... I knew the Celtics would would eventually prevail against the the mentally weak um, Philadelphia 76ers. But uh, the Cavs and that pull-up shooting um, that Donovan Mitchell has just really, really terrifies me. But um, look, that's that's going to do it. Um, Tony, absolute legend. Appreciate you uh, stopping by. Um, it's been super fun to get your the Cavs' perspective. Um, I will do a quick uh, pr- uh, production podcasting note uh we will be having our our next round of celtics trivia next episode we're getting the green with mv guys on um greg and will are going to be going head to head and uh round two of celtics trivia and then we're going to be doing playback we're going to be watching the isaiah thomas 53 points against um the wizards from you know five plus years ago so that's going to be fun lots of good off-season content coming your way but um but tony again thank you appreciate it love your work and um, go phony Tony. Go follow Tony underscore Pesta. Get the um, get the Cavs perspective. He's got some good stuff coming out across his YouTube and on Twitter. But in the meantime, go Celtics. I got my mind made up. Come on, you can get it, get it, girl. Anytime. Tonight is fine. I got my mind made up.